Well, praise God, it's so good to be here, and uh, I was sharing with somebody that um, I got a call Friday morning. I was just just uh, leaving on my, my job, and uh, <laughs> Pastor and Lois, they said they'll call me back. They'll call me back a, a mile down the road, and Pastor said, I'm calling from... Uh, hospital bed and I said I'm sorry to hear that and he said I, I need you not for Sunday but for the wedding I'm going to do on Saturday and I says whoa okay <laughs> I said I'll take care of it and uh, he gave me the bride's number and about a mile down the road she called and she said uh Thank you for being available. She said, my uncle, who's a minister in Portland, is going to take care of things. I said, okay, praise God. <laughs> praise God for your uncle. <laughs> and uh, so then uh, I thought, well, you know, I was driving along praying for Pastor Winston, thinking I hope it's all, but it sounds like all is well. Well, about noon, Letha here from the church calls and says, hey, uh, can you do the service on Sunday? I said, well, I thought the pastor had that. And she said, the guy was unable to. So I said, it may not be pretty, but we'll be there. We'll do it. So anyway, th- uh, you know, I thank God. It's, it's a privilege and an opportunity to serve the Lord. It really is. And, um, you know, I'm thankful. And, and I did this years ago. I uh, worked as a lay pastor. And th- that that is pretty demanding, but... But, you know, um, God enables you. And, and I, I was always thankful for the opportunity to share God's word. And in my mind, that is, that is uh, just the, um, the highest calling that God could give a person to share his word. And he does to each one of us as, as we live each day to share his word. Because, because it is such an amazing story. Uh, the riches of God's word... Uh, it's just unbelievable. Let me read. I want to read a testimony here that I hope will speak to your heart. Uh, it did mine. This man is reaching toward 80, and he has never knew a saving, and he never knew a, a saving experience until he was past 75. He had been a respectable man. Oh, yes. The, the Kentucky colonel is one of the most affable, big-hearted, willing persons you will ever meet. To shake his hand is to like him immediately. His name, he, he's made his fortune after 65. Most, most men would have felt beaten. Harlan Sanders had put several years of back-breaking work into a small, small motel and restaurant business, a mile and a half north of town. Suddenly, the state decided to move the highway seven miles west of town. It left Sanders high and dry, facing economic strangulation at 65. Instead, he loaded his car with what he could salvage by way of capital and started out to sell his franchise idea, which today bears his name and his picture coast to coast. His father died when he was five. He says, looking back, I did the cooking and mom did sewing, 
for the neighbors. When I was seven, I baked my first bread. I cared for the two. I cared for two youngsters while mom worked. His mother was a God-fearing woman. He went to Sunday school every Sunday, regardless of whether uh, we walked there, and regardless of the weather, we walked there and back two and a half miles. Long since, Colonel Sanders has rebuilt the little country church in southern Indiana as a memorial to his godly mother. At 10, Sanders was working as a hired hand for a neighbor farmer. At 11, he hired out an elderly German to an elderly German at $4 a month. His employer put three teams in the field and sandwiched young Sanders with a team between the front and rear teams. It was backbreaking work, but it built a strong body. The colonel retains it today. Even now, he rises at 4.30 and works a 14-hour day. Even, even now, this, he passed away in 1980, so this is, this is written then, but that's what he did then. And plowing was not all. Every evening, there were cows to milk, 16 of them every night of the week. It is the kind of education that makes a man or an invalid out of you. The colonel remembers, I got all the kickers and the hard milkers. All this for $4 cash a month, and you grew on a diet of cornbread, cottage cheese, and sorghum molasses. I don't know what that is, but sure it's good. <laughs> by, by 40, Sanders had tried his hand at a lot of things, uh, blacksmithing, running ferry boats, railroading, selling, and he reached the decision that one, one thing folk had to do was eat. He decided that was where he would sharpen his talents. There had not been much time for formal education. The colonel realizes how much he could have used advanced studies like business administration when he got up into the millions. But he likes to quote, on the other hand, what Will Rogers said, quote, I don't know what all these college graduates are going to do for jobs if we eighth grade failures don't take care of them, end quote. So life toughened him. He likes to say, the Lord kept me on earth either to use me or punish me. And of course, today he knows why. He looks back and sees how God spared him. Back in 1924, my home was connected to the highway by a swing bridge. A few days before Thanksgiving, I pulled my son's car to get it started. Suddenly, the, sw- the bridge cables collapsed, and our cars plunged us nearly 50 feet below. There wasn't a spot on my body that wasn't bruised, black and blue. I was thrown from the car. The car nosed into the water, yet I survived without a broken bone. During, during World War II, I had a cafeteria at Oak Ridge and another place of business at Corbin. <clears throat> Excuse me. He remembers, I had worked 48 hours or more without sleep. It caught up with me as I drove. I awakened to realize I was headed over a cliff. My car turned over three times, landing right side up next to the creek. 
and I stepped out without a bruise, I often wondered why. Inside, every man knows whether he is right with his maker, and he had gained wealth and fame. The colonel was asked to be a delegate for his church denomination and attend a world conference in Australia. During the trip, he turned to his companions and remarked, if this plane goes down, you fellows will go to heaven, but I'll go to hell. I hope I can find peace of soul I need at the conference. He was doing everything his church had taught him to do. He tithed. He was particular particular about that. He had to learn after 75 after 75, that ties uh, will not take you to heaven. You cannot bribe God, but you can rob him. He had always been a, a preacher, the preacher's friend. Many a, strug- many a struggling little congregation, an impoverished parsonage, benefited from his generosity. He had heard thousands of sermons, but he never had met Christ personally. You can be lost in churches. Oh, yes, you can. Ask Colonel Sanders. He enjoyed giving scholarships, yet he never sent a boy or girl to college who smoked or drank. All his life, the colonel tried to live by principles of decency, hard work, patriotism, and high standard of morality. It was not enough. There was a void inside. One question remained unanswered. How could a man know that his sins had really been forgiven? God will meet the honest inquirer somewhere, somehow. He had an appointment with the colonel right in Louisville. One day, someone had the courage to walk up to Harlan Sanders on the street and with just a friendly word to invite him to attend special evangelistic services. And to hear the good singing, Pastor Wayman Rogers, minister of Evangelical Tabernacle, Louisville, Kentucky, remembers how it happened. I saw him come in, the pastor says. You couldn't miss him in a crowd with with his white suit and his identifying white beard and full head of hair. I knew God was going to do something special that night. I felt it immediately. Our people had been praying. As our evangelist moved into the service, Pastor Rogers recalls, I left the platform and sat with the the colonel on the front pew. The invitation began. He raised his hand for prayer. There were tears. I said, Colonel, let us get down on our knees and talk to God. He replied, I don't hardly know what to say. Let's start with a sinner's prayer, the pastor suggested. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Pastor Rogers will always remember how the colonel's problems tumbled out. I strained, uh, a strain stubborn and shameful had fastened itself to his pride, successful man's life. He wanted to be free from cursing. It festered his ordinary conversation. He was never free from it. It made him feel as rotten as liquor does any drunkard. It was the one bad thing he had learned to do during the years of railroading. It marked him. He had tried in vain to break the habit. It was uh, proof enough that he was not saved, 
no matter how often he attended church. Suddenly the colonel lifted his head. Pastor Rogers relates, he looked at me and told me that it was the first time he had ever, ever experienced the presence of Christ within his heart. A moment or two later, I suggested that we talk to God together about his problem of cursing. He said, Pastor Rogers, we don't need to do that. Christ has done that for me already. I knew then and there that the colonel had experienced old-fashioned regeneration. Colonel Sanders will tell you today that there is a big, big difference between being a church member and being saved. He speaks from uh, personal experience. And no one loves the church, regardless of the domination, better than Colonel Sanders. Those who knew him best knew that it is his, his first love beyond even the, the preparation of original food recipes. He tells his associates today there is an inner experience, a new birth that brings peace, morality, and good works cannot accomplish it. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Colonel Sanders' testimony today is this. You can join the church. You can serve the committees. You can be baptized and receive communion. You can become the superintendent of the Sunday school and not be saved. I know it happened in my life. There I was. I didn't know. I didn't have enough spiritual power in my life to keep me from cussing. I know there is. I know there is an experience of salvation. It is my personal experience today. I know I am right with God. I know my sins are pardoned. He likes to add. I discovered that no church can save you. I tried a lot of them. Most of them were well-meaning. I tried to fit into different forms of service. Most of the preachers were my friends, but some something was always lacking. I needed to know something deep within my soul, and for that I needed to more I needed more than songs and prayers and church suppers. I needed a personal experience with Jesus Christ. So now he looks back over a full life. It has been checkered with ups and downs, with struggles with struggle, with a share of violence, with a gain and with loss, and with satisfying investment or trust in his fellow man. He is glad now for the hard years, poverty-stricken years. They taught him to respect work. They built for him a strong body, and that was hardly known, and that is hardly known a day of sickness. He knows that God saved his life many times for purpose. He is using his testimony and his resources for that purpose. He laughs when he talks about it, but it reflects his newfound dedication. You know what they say about me, uh, quote, he came from rags to riches. Well, maybe now I'm on my way back from riches to rags. Seeing the twinkle in his eye, you know his meaning. He has placed his future in the hands of another, a friend who is guiding him uh, on the rest of the trip. Great, great testimony. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders, great testimony, uh, points out that you can, be, you can be as religious as can be, but be a non-believer. Um, and um, for 
For 75 years, that was his experience. The Bible points out that a a non-believer is spiritually dead. They're not alive to God. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The King James says, uh, at at enmity, the enemy of God, uh, the person who is not in right, right relationship with God. If a person is not believer, not a believer, trusting in God, he or she is protesting God. And that's what people do, protest God. That's what uh, Jonah did, protested God. I want to read from the book of Jonah, chapter 1. I love the book of Jonah. I've talked about Jonah a lot. Uh, Jonah, chapter 1, it says, in the, in the word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, go northeast. Jonah goes southwest, away from God, away from where God had told him. Jonah was was protesting God. What I want to talk about now is that Jonah's decision to to flee from God resulted in consequences that are way out of his control. Jonah's decision to flee from God, to go the opposite direction, resulted in consequences that were way out of his control. First, Jonah, for one, uh, Jonah 1.3 says, But Jonah rose to flee, from, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the, and the thing I want to point out here is that, notice what it says, that Jonah went down to Joppa, and they went down into the ship. Anytime that you do contrary to the word of God, anytime you go away from God, you're going down. You're going down, and that's, that's what he was doing. Scripture is real clear about that. Solomon wrote that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or a shame to any people. Uh, righteousness brings us to honor, but whenever we violate or reject God's word, it brings us to shame and confusion. The Solomon also, also wrote that by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. The things that we want in life, we have by following God's principle. Um, and, and you and I know that as, as a nation, that we get, as we get farther away from God and decisions are made that violate the word of God and violate God's principles, we, we see confusion and uh, shame. Jonah went down. The second thing, uh, Jonah is found out. Verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Let me pause right there. Um, I think of the prodigal son. Whenever the prodigal son ran away, whenever he was in this country, after he had spent all his money, 
all of a sudden, there's a famine. I think God was in control there. There was a famine. So just like that, right here, there's a storm. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hole of the ship, laying down and falling sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast, let us cast lots so as we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation, and what do you do, and, and where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah is found out. And I guess the the thing I want to clarify here is that the truth will come out. You know, Satan will say, just go ahead and do this, and no one will know about it. That is not true. The truth will come out. It, It will be established it, it, will, it will be found out. The truth will be known. And the, the other thing I want to talk about here with Jonah is that, that what, what Jonah was doing looked like on the up and up. He's just going for a ride down to Tarshish. But there was rebellion in his heart. He was going in the opposite direction direction that God had wanted him to. There was rebellion in his heart. And you know, that, that is exactly what the scripture says about Satan, that why Satan was cast down. The scripture says, because because you said in your heart, but you said in your heart, it's talking to to Satan, and it says, you said in your heart. And then he, then he says, Fives, five I wills. I will this. I will that. I will that. I will. I will be like the most high. That's what Satan said. I will be God. There was rebellion in his heart. And there was rebellion in Jonah's heart. Uh, and it was found out. It was brought to light. The third thing here is Jonah is way out of control. Verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Jonah says, the only answer is to kill me. And, and that's what he was saying. Throw him in the sea where they were at, 
was sure death. It was over. He says, the only way is to, to cast me into the sea. But look, they, they didn't want to do that. They tried not to do that. They rode desperately, it said. They worked desperately to get back to land. But the storm just got worse. And finally, they said, it's, it's our only hope. It's our only answer. And so they, they um, throw him into the sea. But um, I want to say this, that uh, Jonah was way out of control. And God has to bring each one of us to that point in our life often before we will submit to him, before we will surrender to what he has for us. And he has good things for us, but because they don't, they don't look like good things for us, we reject him. God has good things for us, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for us, but we have, we have to embrace those. We have to say, yes, Lord, I will do that. I will go through that door. It's a good thing. And, but God has to bring us to the point where it's way out of our control, way out of our control. And I always think of the wonderful prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed in Second Chronicles twenty twelve, when things were way out of his control. An enemy had come up against them that looked like was going to wipe him out. And Jehoshaphat says this, O our God, will you not judge them? For we, we have no might against this great power that comes up against us. And we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. And, and what, what Jehoshaphat was saying was, God, we're done. It's over. If you don't act, we're done. And so God did act, and he saved him. But in, until we embrace that life is out of our control, we will continue to do ourselves damage. And I've... I've had that experience often, it seems like. That's, that's, hard, that's hard to come to when I was younger. But as I look back, I can think of times where I've had to say, and it seems almost daily nowadays, but I have to say, God, this is way over my head. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. Not only is it overwhelming more than I can handle, I have no clue as even what to do. God, please help me. And and normally, as we are sincere before God and 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 trust Him, um, that's when He's He's willing to pour out a blessing on us because because He says, "I'm glad you come to that point." And when we come to that point, He can do something for us. The last thing I want to point out here is Jonah's life appears to be over. Um, Verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped uh, stopped its rage. Um, They threw him in the sea. You know, the scripture says that um, he that he that hardeneth his neck, being often reproved, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And so when you, when you have a person that is consistently going the wrong way, and God puts up, puts up deterrence, he, he puts up changes of direction that you can take over and over, 
But if, if a person consistently, consistently, consistently shakes their fist at God, like Ravi, Ravi Zacharias says it, and I love the way he says it, he says that if you keep doing that, God will finally say, be my guest. Go your own way. Go, it's going to be disaster. It's going to be heartbreaking. You will weep tears of pain. But you, you persist. It, it, it is up to you to go your own way. And, and you know, we all, we all protest and have protested God. I praise God for, for uh, Gwen's testimony the other week. She said that God pursued her. And, and that is my experience. God pursued me. I was a scared kid, didn't think I could live a Christian life, so I was running, desperately running from God. God pursued me. He kept pursuing me and kept following me, and, and I thank God that he did. But um, God, God pursues us, uh, and he wants to turn us to himself. You know, um, there, there is in each one of us, I think, I know in myself, I'll speak for myself, in, I know there's in me that, um, that um, ability, I guess, to protest God. I, you know, I, I can think of some specific times where I said no to God. And I regret those times. I regret those times to this day. I thank God for the times that I said yes. But God is God. And um, I think of words that I have some great mentors in my life. And, of course, the scriptures. Um, in Isaiah, it says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. That's so true. Think about that. What a fool to strive with God. Uh, Isaiah said that in Romans, Apostle Paul said, says, on the contrary, who are you to reply to God? Who are you to question God? Th- that's, that's a great truth that spoke to my heart. Uh, when I was at Liberty University in 1980, Dr. Jerry Falwell said, I'll never forget this, he said, if you take it up with God, you're going to lose. So true. If you take it up with God, you're going to lose. That's a fact of the matter. In closing, I want to read some verses here that, that uh, ring, ring so true that I want to hold before me. Philippians chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 8. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is King. He's, he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And the scripture says, if we'll call on the name of the Lord, if there is, if there is repentance and faith, if there's a desire within us to turn from our sin and to trust Christ, we can do that by faith.
He'll save us and give us eternal life. He is, he is King of kings. and Lord. That's what it says in Revelation uh, chapter 19. Interesting, Pastor Winston pointed out, it's so true. When Jesus, Jesus was here before, he came mildly riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. On a donkey. When, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be a white horse. It's going to be all different. It's going to be all different. On his robe, the scripture says, will be written, King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when the, the King of kings comes and the Lord of lords is here, all these injustices that, that you and I shake our head and think that is so wrong, they'll be straightened out. It'll be right then. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is today. And, and one day he will reign uh, here on earth and we'll feel that. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for your word and your truth. God, thank you for speaking to my heart. Thank you, Lord, that you turned me around. Thank you that, that I, I was once a protester, but you turned me around, Lord. And, oh, Lord, help me to hold before me that, that protesting you is a fool. It's foolish. God, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for the book of Jonah. And, Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts from this book and that, that you draw people to yourself. Thank you, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.